You're listening to Never Sleeps Network. Hello, fan people. Welcome to another episode of Speech Bubble. I am your host, Aaron Broverman. <coughs> but I'm actually talking about Harry Tarantula. It's that time of year. It's Halloween. So you know this means... Harry Tarantula's Halloween party. They're going to have 10% off everything. Everything in the store is going to be on sale. And there's going to be even deeper discounts. There's going to be a haunted house. There's going to be a costume party. And the whole Speech Bubble crew will be there. Because we'll be recording a live episode of Speech Bubble direct from Harry Tarantula. The festivities at the Halloween party are happening from October 26th to the 28th, starting at 1 o'clock p.m. So get down to 3456 Young Street and tell them Aaron sent you. You're listening to Speech Bubble, the podcast that goes one-on-one with Toronto's comic book luminaries. Here's your host, Aaron Broverman. Godspeed, old chum. Hey, fan people. Welcome to another episode of Speech Bubble on Never Sleeps Network at NeverSleepsNetwork.com. I am your host, Aaron Broverman. You can find us and follow us on social media everywhere at Speech Bubble Pod. You can also subscribe to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, and wherever you get your podcast needs met. If you're subscribing on iTunes, uh, please write a review for the show. It helps people see our podcast and it helps more people come to the show and listen to it. With me today, we have a very, very special guest. He is the inker on Archie Meets uh, Batman 66. He is the protege of the legendary Darwin Cook, inking his work on the DC Justice League New Frontier special, which was the sequel to Darwin's famed Justice League New Frontier. He inked his work on The Spirit and The Spirit Meets Batman. He worked with James Robinson on The Saviors. Uh, He's been part of the Canadian superhero anthology True Patriot. Please welcome Jay Bone. Welcome, Jay. Hey, Aaron. Thanks. Good to see you. Uh, We sort of run into each other every so often because... You know, I'm at the Silver Snail, Toronto's famed Silver Snail comic shop every Wednesday for New Comic Day, and so are you, and we sort of bump into each other as we're getting our new comics. We have, and and superhero movies, we both tend to go to the same cheapo movie theater. Right, 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 because there used to be a large group of people from like the Raid studio and other people that we know mutually in common. Yeah. They used to organize these giant comic people seeing comic book movie 
events kind of thing. You know, Francis Manipal would be there. You yeah. would be there. Uh, our friend Matthew Muhammad would be there and all kinds of people. And uh, it was always fun hanging out. It was always good. Yeah. We would go for drinks after. Uh, I remember those times fondly. So, yeah, like you're one of those people that I know, but I don't really know that well. So I wanted to get to know you on kind of a deeper level. Right. Uh, that's good. Where did you where did you grow up originally? Uh, originally, I grew up in southwestern Ontario, uh, Woodstock, Ontario, specifically. Like went, you know, from kindergarten to high school all the way there. And then went to Sheridan College in Oakville, oh, which nice. was my big move out of my small town. When people found out that you were going to be on the show and they also went to Sheridan, they were like, oh, yeah, like he was a year ahead of me in Sheridan. And everybody knew that he would be like this big comic guy. Like he was already on the rise in Sheridan. Oh, who's making up stories? I don't know. That was what my friend Matthew <laughs> Daly told me. But, oh, yeah, uh, yeah. No, I remember Matt from um, yeah, Comic Jams. I used to go to Comic Jams. Yeah, and yeah. that would be there. So, he was like, yeah, everybody at Sheridan sort of already knew that this guy was going to be, oh, was gonna be cool. a thing, you know? So, that's kind of cool. Shout out to Matthew Daly, who's also been on the show. Yeah. Anyway, growing up, how did you get into comics? Oh, that's a good question. Just because I haven't thought about when I first started. So there used to be, there's a used bookstore in Woodstock, or there was, called The Bookseller. And he had a drawer full of comics. So I was buying stuff then, but I didn't really start actually collecting until the comic closet opened up. Specifically comics, like no, no used books or anything like that as, as you know, other moneymaker. So uh, when he opened up, I started buying... Todd McFarlane's Spider-Man. Pretty sure that was the first comic that I ever collected. Like, I didn't know comics only came out once a week. So I would kind of just go, like, whenever I could and and pick up whatever was new or if there's something that I'd been sort of glancing at and, and would try out. Um, but, yeah, so that was, like, 89, I think, when Todd was on, I want to say 89, maybe 86, like Hydro Man was on the front, the uh, the cover of the first issue I bought. Right, and his big thing was like the Spider Man Torment storyline. Yeah, so that came out. That was a couple of years later. Like I'd been collecting for a few years by then. Right. Okay. Uh, in fact, I have a letter in one of those the the just Spider Man titled books. Okay. I have a letter in one of those. I can't remember what issue. I think I wrote in because he was doing, remember Spider-Man went to Canada and he right. bought the Wendigo. Yeah, and I have all those. Yeah, there yeah. were these like, I don't know, the Spider-Man went to Canada and then there was like these weird issues in the 90s, which came out like a little bit later. It was like uh, Spider-Man like stampede in Calgary or chaos in Calgary. They did all these weird one yes, shots the in Canada. with Todd's hockey cover. Yeah, there was like, yeah. there was like Spider-Man on thin ice. That's the one. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Is that the one you have a letter in? Or no, I have it in, it's in the regular Spider-Man title. Oh, okay. It's in the regular um, Spider-Man But yeah, Spider-Man on thin ice, I have that. I okay. might still have my copy of that. Yeah, I, I definitely have that. Yeah. There was one where like, there's a dude riding a bike and Ghost Rider is in it and stuff. Yes. And, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was, yeah. It was pretty cool because I think they gave them out at like Pizza Hut or something. There was a while, there was a while where like Pizza Hut was giving out comics. As yeah, there were tie-ins and and it was to like keep kids off drugs and blah blah blah. Right, blah, right, exactly. All that stuff. So that was when I started buying comics, and I I sort of I immediately was more into the artist than anything else. Spidey was my favorite hero growing up, uh, which is why it was kind of like 
easy for me to collect him. Like I was also buying the Sal Buscema and the Alex Saviak, uh, Spectacular Spidey and Web of Spider-Man. But I wasn't as into those as I was Todd's book. And then reading interviews, Todd was a big fan of John Byrne. So I started sort of looking at Byrne stuff. I think by then I was getting ready to go to college uh, and started. So I was buying comics when I went to college and started hanging out with guys who were all in. We were all kind of getting into comics or in various stages of being into comics. And Mike Mignola had just done. uh, What did he do? He did the uh, Dracula adaptation. Oh, yeah. And he was at a convention, like, out at Airport Road or whatever. So, a few of us went because we all were, like, huge fans of Bignola. We went to go meet him. And then my style... I started changing my style depending on who I was into. So, like, when I was into Todd, I I could show you high school drawings where I was just, like, aping Todd as much as I could. And then John Byrne uh, was trying to ape him. I went through a Bignola, like, phase in in, college. college and then got into like kirby and those guys sort of much later probably my last year of college cool so when you're you know when you're like imitating all these guys and stuff Mm -hmm. what was meaningful to you about comics in general like why did you start reading them i think my my approach to this question is is gonna be um i really wanted to get into animation okay so when i was reading comic books i never once thought about actually drawing comic books for some reason i figured i was going if i ever drew comics it was going to be to get into animation and then i didn't get in the animation program at sheridan i got into illustration and i saw how much work the animation guys had to do and i realized it's probably easier to work in comics and still get to tell, like still in a way, create a movie or create a world. Cause that's what I really wanted to do in telling stories was create the entire, the environment, the actors, the, all, all of that, that I thought I would have to do in animation. Like that's the only way I could express acting was through animation. So uh, once I sort of realized I could just do it, drawing comics i like shifted my approach because it it, for like three it the uh the illustration program at sheridan is three years and in my second year i was still thinking i want to work in film like definitely want to go uh like i think toy story was being developed at that time and we got to see a sneak peek of that so i still that's where i wanted to go and then by third year i was like no screw it animation is what i want or uh animation uh comic books is what i want to do i want to like be able to tell a story as if it's my film uh, through comic books. That's awesome. How did you find your style? Because you have a very, very distinctive style. It's sort of like a cheesecakey sort of yeah. 1950s, 40s, 30s sort of kind of harken back to the golden age kind of style. How did you go from sort of imitating your heroes to finding your own style? To finding my own. Yeah, um, basically just through the process of going through all those guys, like um, being influenced by the, the guys I mentioned and so many more, you know, like Dan DiCarlo was, I was a big fan of his stuff. I love European comics, like the uh, Asterix and Obelix. So there's all of that is coming into my art. And I think this, my style developed just by constantly doing it 
you know, the, I, when I look at certain poses, I know where I got them from, like what artist I'm using. But at this point, it's been processed through my own drawing, like just drawing my own things constantly that I guess that's like that is just my style now. I know where everything like where all the little bits are coming from from different artists. But at this point, it is just how I draw. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So once you sort of got into Sheridan and you were doing illustration, uh, like I mentioned at the top, people started noticing you even when you were in school. Did you notice yourself that you were having this sort of talent and that you could really do something with this sort of thing? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. That sounds kind of arrogant. But I think, I mean, you can't help but compare. Right. Um, so I was I was always kind of looking at how, what level my friends were at and not necessarily competing, but definitely wanting to get, you know, good grades or better grades, for example. Or, or when you get the wow from your friends, like, you know, when you do a drawing in your sketchbook and your friends are flipping through and they'll stop and go, oh, I like that. Like, that's the stuff that I think before Instagram, you were going for the like, the double tap. And uh, I've, I think I've actually almost forgot your question. Yeah. Just, <laughs> no, no, you, you definitely answered it. It's just, yeah. it's just how, you know, you, you definitely get to tell that like, oh, like maybe I can make something of this. Yeah, maybe I yeah. am good at this sort of thing. And you were talking about like the validation that yeah. you get, right? Well, and, and, you know, so actually after uh, Sheridan, my first job ended up being in animation, although just on the design front. So I worked at uh, Nelvana at the time. It was It's now Chorus, but uh, I was working on Franklin the Turtle okay. for a number of years. And while I was there, you know, again, this was kind of like, this is where I wanted to be. But again, I was really thinking like, if I'm going to tell my own stories, it's probably going to be comic books that it would have my name on the cover, like all of the stuff, all of that ego feed would be more uh more accessible than working in animation where your name just flashes by on a screen right tv animation mm -hmm. so while i was at nelvana i was really starting to think this isn't enough i want to do more i want to do my own thing so uh at nights i was working on my own my first published work which was uh solar stella which was just a barbarella ripoff so i was kind of working on that and I got a table at a convention in Toronto for some reason. I can't remember who invited me, but I was sitting beside Jay Torres and a very young Francis Manipal. And uh, like, God, I don't even think he was, maybe he was 16. What year is this? At the time. That would be 90, 98, maybe. Okay. 98 or 99, because Solar Stella came out in 90. 99 or 2000. So yeah, Francis was very young and Jay, because Jay and I were sitting side by side, um, neither one of us getting a lot of traffic. He, he flipped through my portfolio and we just got talking about other projects and he had um, Alison Dare, which was one of the first things I worked on with Jay. And, uh, and actually coincidentally, I also met Scotty Hepburn back then. He was still at Sheridan, I think. Okay. Uh, taking illustration or animation. Um, so, yeah, he's another raid guy. 
Yeah, I mean, all these guys have been on our show. Like we we yeah. had, we've had Jay Torres before. Uh, we've had Scott Hepburn. Uh, Jay mentioned Allison Dare when he was on. Allison Dare got you guys a bit of accolade, right? At least Canadian wise. Yeah. Yeah, we got, I actually did get one. I got a an Eisner nomination for Solar Stella, talent deserving wider recognition. I didn't win. I don't remember who won, but that's not important. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so Jay and I started working on Allison and that got a lot of attention. Like that was our first quote unquote big publisher, like Oni Press first put that book out. Right. Um, yeah, I mean it's pretty it's pretty amazing that like right off the bat your first couple projects you're already getting uh you know sort of this recognition from like the wider comic book industry was it sort of overwhelming at the time like how did you process it? You know what? I wasn't really thinking too much about it. Um it's it's what what I find funny now is how many of those people that I met like just first of all through Jay uh meeting Francis like knowing Francis for so long and Scott Hepburn came along a little bit later um just knowing all these guys who are superstars now mm-hmm. but to not really think about like we all wanted that we all wanted to be something like when Francis first got uh say Witchblade I I think that was maybe one of the first um Top Cow books he'd worked on we were all really excited for him, but I was always like, oh man, you'd be so good on Wonder Woman. Like, I want to see you do, I want to see you keep going up and doing, because at the time, you know, DC and Marvel would be the major goals. Uh, so we all wanted good things for each other, but I never, th- I don't think any of us really thought about it as like, we are the next you know, superstars. Right, right. That's just how it turned out. Yeah. For yeah. those guys anyway. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you as well. I mean, because but, because at some point you met Darwin Cook, That's right. right? Yeah. And not long after all of that. Like, I, I met Darwin in 2001, I think. So, Stella had come out and I'd worked on Alice and Dare. So, he knew my style and he knew, you know, that I had all those old influences, even though there was still more... Um, I would say I was I was more Archie Bruce Tim style Dan DiCarlo than I was you know the the kind of inks that Darwin likes like the older guys Milk Kniff um not even superhero inkers but just like the 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 rougher I don't even know how to describe like more brush right uh inked style guys uh Milk Kniff's the big one Frank Robbins and so I, I, Darwin and I sort of did a few things that didn't get published because he was just testing, seeing if I was actually a good fit, uh, if I could do the, the, the work, uh, you know, consistently, but also if I was a good guy, like I could have just as easily been an asshole. Right. So when I met him, it was very just testing out at first. So how did... How did it connect that he sort of drafted you to help him out on, on inks and stuff? Like, do, how does it evolve? Yeah, did it just start I... a friendship or like then you started working together? Like, take yeah. me through your meeting. and, <laughs> meeting and... Dar- like, like everything, it seems, there's always the pre-meeting. So, when I was at Nelvana, um, photocopies of some of Darwin's early work were sort of floating around and people were talking about him. And there was a mutual friend, a guy named Rodney Dunn, who lived in the same building that Darwin did. So, I was seeing Darwin's work. And then, at the same time, um, I was going to the comic jams and I met Steve Minnelli, who's a big, like, everybody who's in... 
Toronto knows Steve Minnelli. <laughs> Everybody who's in movies and comics and that. Um, Steve's just one of those guys that has a lot of friends and, and is a great guy. And when I met him, he said, hey, you should come by the studio. I share a space with Darwin Cook. And I was like, what the? Really? That's amazing. So he, I met Darwin through Steve. So, you know, then in that way, I was intro I was showing Darwin my, my comic book work, but also just hanging out like Steve's just, you know, a fun guy to hang out with. So hanging out at the studio and Darwin was working on his, he was working on Batman Ego, but was working on a pitch for uh, uh, New Frontier. And at the time it was super Kirby style. And he was probably, you know, his plan, I'm sure, was to, to fully pencil and ink it, write it, all of that. Um, but like I say, he was sort of, when we first met, testing me out. Like he would do a drawing of, of uh, Batman and Superman and then have me ink it. And then vice versa, he would have me try and draw something in like the, uh, the Batman animated style to see, you know if it was solid enough that he could ink it. Right. And he, he pitched some things to like Batman, the animated series and like done some designs and stuff. Well, he them. worked. I mean, yeah, yeah. He worked on that for a, a, at least a year. And then when they were in their new style, like the super slick Glenn Murakami red sky style. Mm -hmm. And then he did the, uh, the um, opening credits for Batman beyond. Right. That's all Darwin. Yeah. Um, but it's, it, there are, you know, obviously there are lots of artists contributing, but he cut that piece together, right. which I think, shows because like it just shows his his um film sensibilities it's so slick right right so i just slick. wanted to give context to you know people who don't know just to tell right. them sort of where this is all coming from and like the stylistic uh, right. influences and, and where darwin was at the time too, because yeah, yeah. he was not yet known like batman ego to a lot of people came out of nowhere but he yeah he'd been working in various fields for so many years uh, but specifically like getting the, the 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 warner brothers kind of uh style you know under his belt and then getting the batman ego like he there was a basis for for people to look up like who darwin was like that he didn't just come out of nowhere right Right, exactly. So then you're sort of trading things, like he's showing you his yeah. stuff, you're showing you know, him your stuff, you know, there's this early pitch of New Frontier, yeah. which would go on to become his seminal legendary work. It's the work that's attached exactly. to Darwin, you know, for, for into infinitum, basically. Mm -hmm. So at this point, what was your first indication that like you were going to work with this guy and, and maybe he likes you? Probably, I think the first thing we worked on together was the Spider-Man that we did for uh, uh, Tangled Tangled Web. I think was that the series. Yeah, I think yeah, it was yeah, called Tangled were, Web. Yeah, there were two issues of Spidey that we did, both holiday uh, themed. And this is actually a story I told at Darwin's uh, memorial. Um, when when I first met him, we met at Steve Minnelli's place, and Darwin said all right i got this spider-man thing uh you know we're gonna start it soon it's gonna be it was the uh, valentine's day special and at the same time i was still doing work with oni and i had just been contacted to work on uh, mutant texas with paul dini and so i just said okay well i have this i have a mutant texas like eight page thing that i have to do first and then i can start with you on spider-man and I remember him just giving me a look like, 
like kind of a head shake, like, oh, did I get you wrong? And I didn't know what was up. I didn't know what the problem was. And he, he uh, gave me a little slap on the back of the head. And I just went, what, what? He's like, look, man, we're going to be doing something big together. You can't be taking other work. And that's when I realized like, <laughs> oh man, okay. So the, yeah, D like Darwin wants you, well, he wants you invested when he's working with you, when you're working with, with him on something, I want a hundred percent of you. He doesn't want to hear about your other projects. <laughs> yeah. He's like, I don't care. I don't care. That's good for you. That's great. And it was a great project. Like I ended up working with Deanie a, a bunch of times after that. Like we did a whole Mutant Texas uh, miniseries together and, and Jingle Bell. But yeah, Darwin wants you a hundred percent on board he doesn't want you like double paging or anything like that like inking more than more than his project it's like a high school teacher who doesn't realize you have other teachers that are giving you homework yeah exactly yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah so i that was that was a good like moment of just getting to know darwin but also what he expects and it's legitimate like it's there's a professionalism of just if I say I'm going to work with you, I'm not going to put you off. I am going to be ready. You know, like what I find funny is I still didn't get any pages from him for like two weeks. So I had the time to do the job, you know, the other job. It's just, yeah, he just wanted it established that, that like when I work with him, he wants a hundred percent of my time, right. like my effort. Mm -hmm. Um, not my time because I still can have breakfast and sleep. <laughs> yeah. But, but yeah, it was a really good, like, it was a really good getting to know Darwin. Cool. Moment. Cool. What was it like working with Paul Dini? Oh, he's great. Paul's fantastic. It was so long ago. Um, uh, yeah, like all of our contact was through emails. I actually ended up going and meeting him uh, when I went to San Diego, whatever year those mutant Texases were coming out. Uh, that's taxing my my date memory. But yeah, I, I, I met out, met with Paul, hung out with him a few times. Um, at the time, I think he was like, I've, I met his wife. She's now his wife, uh, Misty, who's a magician. But yeah, Paul's great. Paul's, Paul's kind of exactly what you want the guy who wrote a lot of your childhood TV shows to be like, like just a friendly, great guy who's full of stories. Because he wrote, I, I mean, if, you know, the more I watch, rewatch a lot of the shows I watched as a kid, I realized, oh, Deanie worked on uh, He-Man for a couple of seasons. Um, I think Animaniacs. And then, of course, the Batman Adventures. Yeah, Tiny Toon uh, Adventures. Because, Tiny Toon Adventures, because yeah, the, yeah. Because the, the Animaniacs and Tiny Toon Adventures crew then went to Batman the Animated Series, right? right? Yeah. And they did a lot of stuff. Like, uh, they did the, remember the Duck Knight? That was a Frank Miller-styled it wasn't was it daffy duck or was it the uh the tiny tunes no duck? I, th I think it was daffy duck yeah. i think anyway yeah so dini dini is like a part of my right childhood and then amazing to get to work with him yeah it's pretty amazing so then so let's go back to your trajectory i just wanted to do a little aside there um, but your trajectory is like, okay, so you're you're working with Darwin, you're starting to like develop a relationship, you're mm -hmm. starting to ink things with him. What was sort of the process? Like he would give you pages and then and then you would ink them. And we're not talking like at this point, this isn't like digital inking, right? Like this is actual like pen and ink inking, right? Yeah, actually inking his the pages that he like penciled and, and erasing the pencils off of and smelled like cigarette smoke and, and all, <laughs> all of that Darwin stuff. 
Um, yeah, that that was pre-digital anything. Now, when we started working on the Spirit, which I might be jumping ahead. So, yeah, Spirit so was new- like mid-2000s, okay. I think. Like the the Spirit, Spirit miniseries after uh, Spirit versus Batman, I think, yeah. was like 2006-ish. Okay. If, I'm, if I have my dates correct, for sure. Yeah. So, I actually didn't do a lot on New Frontier. I worked a little bit on the first issue and the last issue. Right. But Darwin really did want that to be his big thing like right um so i helped out on backgrounds and and little things like that and then did spirit did batman spirit come right after that we did two spideys and then i guess we were just doing dc stuff yeah it seemed like a lot of a lot of spirit stuff and, yeah. and, and that kind of stuff uh because you know you you helped him out with like the first six issues of the spirit you helped him out with the batman spirit thing which was very 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 well received yeah i think it's what got him the the series like the spirit series after or or, or so, the yeah. series was maybe already planned after batman the spirit i'm not sure yeah like a lot of things there's a lot of like pitching and and hope you know like i say like new frontier didn't actually start until more than a, f- a couple of years you know darwin had his pitch it was a kirby style thing and then he would adjust the style he'd there were just so many so, uh, there's a, such a process for a lot of this stuff and at, at certain points it's totally off he's not going to do it he's going to do something else and then you know like a lot of things it's something happens and you're like okay let's some you know he'd always worked with mark chiarello uh chiarello was darwin's editor for pretty much everything like another amazing talent um like i don't know if you've ever seen mark chiarello's art but he did a batman houdini crossover back in the 90s wow which is amazing fully painted and i'm pretty sure the the spirit book was something that chiarello had and had said to darwin are you interested in it and Darwin has to figure his his way in on things. Like, if you're going to do the spirit, it's got to be present day. He, If you just do the 1940s, then you're just doing what Will Eisner already did. Right. So, that you know, I know that Darwin's process was like, how do I make this work in a period of cell phones and internet and that, but still keep Denny in his classic mask, hat, uh, trench coat, all of that kind of thing. And of course, because of Darwin's style, he's going to draw it 1950s style anyway, even if there are cell phones and all. So again, it's sort of like the Batman animated show where it's like, it could be 40s, but the computers are modern. Right. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's, a, it's timeless. Yeah. Kind of a timeless thing. Like they're even doing that now with Gotham where there's, you know, blimps in the air and like, you know, tape to tape, tape recorders, but it's still technically modern day. I mean, right. that's, that's, that's not an unheard of thing. Yeah. And Darwin's a natural for that. So, mm-hmm. um, so he, I mean, I, I think it was sort of a natural for him to, to do the spirit. Nice. What was it like inking him? And when you are inking someone, what are you trying to get across? Like, what is your ultimate goal? What is Jay Bones' approach to to inking? To inking? Well, when I inked Darwin, his pencils are super tight. Um, And on the Spirit, we actually, that was our first... Uh, time doing digital in that he would scan his pages and I would print out a blue line 
Um, so he then had his original pencil pages, um, just, you know, for, for sales. It's good to be able to sell your artwork after the fact. Um, he could sell his pencils, and I had my inks uh, separate from that that I could then sell. Uh, but, yeah, so when I ink Darwin, like, he's, he's so tight, and I knew... I know what he wants from me is is that a very classic uh, br like brush which I already ink with anyway, um, f like feathered line art style. Uh, so Darwin was always pretty easy in that I really was just being faithful to his pencils. I don't know if there's a lot of my style coming through in his pencils other than just being that I am very clean with my inks. Um, do you know what I mean? Like I, I remember when uh, he started Catwoman, Mike Allred inked him. Right. And when I look, I can see Mike Allred and Darwin. Mm -hmm. I can see the two of them. I feel like when you look at Darwin's, my, my inks on the spirit, I think it's just, Darwin coming through. And that's what you want, right? You want the main artist to come through and yeah. make them. Like, yeah. you don't want the inker, you don't want to be able to tell that the that the inker worked on this, right? Yeah, like I'm I'm not an overpowering inker in that I have a really, you know, I don't have like the Kevin Nowlin style where there's, it's, uh, you know, there's no mistaking when Kevin Nowlin inks something, for example. Um, I don't think I have that overpowering style um, there are little things like there are little tick marks and things like that, that I know I do, uh, that I can see, but again, I don't think that's, you know, taking over in any way. And I doubt anyone else would notice. Yeah. I think, I think part of the beauty of, you know, your sort of relationship with Darwin and doing his stuff is like, you guys have similar sensibilities in terms of the things that you're into. Yeah. It's hard to tell who is Jay and who is Darwin because you guys both like the same things and yeah. draw sort of the same styles of things, right? Yeah. I, th I think you can see more um, more of a, uh, a crossover of us when you look at the Spider-Man stuff. Right. Because he was trying to be, he was being more cartoony, which is my natural inclination is to be a little more cartoony, uh, whereas he's, uh, I would say, not realistic, but, you know, real, more real proportions right. on his heroes. So Spider-Man, for example, has a big pumpkin head. And on the issue, the Christmas issue that we drew, that I drew and he inked, he would tell me that he actually brought in Spidey's head quite a bit because I, he said like, I was just drawing a giant pumpkin on a broomstick. And uh, so I know he was doing some adjusting on, on mine and probably I was doing the opposite thing where I was making the head just slightly bigger when I was inking it because I, I like a big like bobbly head spider-man i guess when you're inking are you guys in the same room or are you emailing back and forth like yeah what's you, happening a separate room like i would go home and and like take the inks home right okay um, and work yeah work at my desk cool yeah a lot, a lot of that is just because i work with a uh, uh, brush dipped in ink so yeah. i kind of need my own setup what did you what did you learn from him what did you take away oh, from man. that experience oh man um so much there's so much style like uh one of the big things that i always think of when i'm inking is something darwin said uh when you've got your page of pencils and you're just sitting there hesitating because you're not sure what to do first 
Darwin's thing was always just to say, be a man, be a man, and then just go in, just start inking. And when I, I honestly, when I find I'm hesitating on something, I just go, be a man. <laughs> That's awesome. Were you part of the Superman Club too? I that, was, yeah. That was, Superman Club was like a, sort of like a weekly get together that, you know, Darwin and his crew of friends yeah. would, would do, right? Give me sort of an insider perspective of the Superman, the Superman Club, Club for people who don't know. Yeah. So that was, uh, I, 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 again, it all sort of starts with Steve Minnelli, but, uh, so Darwin and Steve lived in the same neighborhood, which was near the dragon, uh, dragon lady comic when it was near, when it was at, um, college and right. Bathurst area. Mm -hmm. So I would trek across town to go meet the guys and we would go to uh, one of the local pubs there for lunch. And it was basically just meet at the, the uh, Dragon Lady, buy our comics if we're buying anything. And Dragon Lady was also really great because they had a lot of um, old magazines like Time Magazines and Life, which Darwin was totally into. And because he was starting work on The New Frontier, he was pulling a lot of, uh, you know, reference for the Kennedy period and, and all of, you know, they had so much stuff there, advertising, photographs, um, they had so much reference for him and slowly started to grow the Superman Club. So it was uh, Darwin, Steve and myself at first, and then our friend Brian McLaughlin joined. And then like our friend Chris would come every now and then. And it was kind of just like, just uh, whatever, just like nerd guys hanging out to talk about whatever we wanted to talk about. Right. For, you know, for that short period of our lunch and then back to work for all of us. And the, the, uh, the name Superman club, it happened when, so we, we, we went to a convention in, I want to say Philly and we, uh, when we were crossing the border, there was a bunch of us in the van, uh, pretty much everyone that I just listed. And, uh, the border guard asked us like where we were going and we said, oh, we're going to a comic convention. And she says, what are you, some kind of like comic book club? And she may have said, Steve Minnelli knows the story better than I do, but she may have said like, you're some kind of like Superman club. And we were like, yeah, yeah. We're Superman Club. And that's where the name kind of came from. Cool, cool. But uh, yeah, I don't know, in that in that rambling story, I hope I... Yeah, no, no, no. That's, <laughs> it, no, I... it, definitely, it definitely paints a picture for sure. Yeah. Um, you know, you're just having lunch. You go buy comics too? Or... Yeah, like yeah. It, that's the thing. It was very loose at first. I, I'm positive that it was initially just Darwin and Steve and I meeting because Darwin wanted to talk about the Spider-Man or he would give me pages. Like it was just a way to get together every week to exchange my, like me giving him the pages, uh, him looking at the inks before we sent them out, that kind of thing, you know, right. like and then very, could, like, it was very work related. And yeah. Stuff. yeah. Um, and, and that's why it's, you know what, it's hard to answer a question like, what did I learn from Darwin? Because it's, it's always such a process like I learned professional things from Darwin. I learned how to talk to editors. Um, I learned how to behave at conventions and, and I don't mean behave like behave yourself, but just that when someone comes to meet you to, you know, at conventions, especially um, the artist is sitting behind a table. So there's that barrier there. And if you're sitting down, I always find it's like you have to talk up to somebody 
it, it doesn't feel welcoming. So for some reason, I learned from Darwin, like to stand at convention tables and then you're on the same level as the person that's coming to talk to you. It's just more comfortable, um, but it's also more welcoming. Right. And, and he was just, he was always really good with fans and just, you know, and people. Uh, but I learned how to ink from him. I learned the be a man thing. Like just when you're hesitating to just sit down and do it. Because what's the worst that's going to happen? If you really screw it up, you can draw it again. You can start over. But probably you're not going to screw up. Yeah. I mean, it's good. Sometimes you just got to, like, go in head first on a lot of things in yeah. life. I mean, yeah. I think that's a lesson that extends past thinking. I think it's, it's like a lesson for life. Just yeah. be a man. Just do it. You know? Crazy. So then you're, you have this relationship. You're doing these things. And then... Is it from your relationship with him and the stuff that you worked on with him, which was very well received, that you started getting other opportunities or were other things happening simultaneously? Um, a little bit of both okay. because I was doing, I was still doing work with Oni at the same time. So I did the, um, somewhere in there, I did the work with Paul Dini on, uh, we did a Jingle Bell miniseries. We did a Mutant Texas miniseries. Um, the, uh, what else was in there? Oh God. Oh, I inked, uh, yeah, I inked Mike Allred, which that happened because I was inking Darwin. Darwin was working with Mike on Catwoman. And then I got called to ink Mike on the Ecstatics series, uh, the um, six issue, five or six issues where initially it was Lady Die coming back from the dead. Do you remember that? Right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it had that kind of wild logo, I remember. Yeah. It was, yeah, it was... The electric... The electric frenetic. Or yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, so I actually had pages that Mike had penciled because I was still inking from pencils. We weren't we weren't digital, or, you know, transfers or anything yet and still FedExing stuff, man. But anyway, yeah, so uh, I had the first issue when... Buckingham Palace said, you may not use Lady Die. <laughs> so Mike had to send me new artwork uh, because we had to change the princess, uh, which was kind of a bummer. And I know it was a bummer for Mike because he really, honestly, his likeness for Lady Die was so good. Um, it just, it's such a bummer that, that we had to, to change it because in a way it changed the story and made it less, it had less meaning when it was just this generic princess from you know, Kingdom Pottsylvania or whatever. For those who don't know the story, give them the broad strokes of like what you wanted to do with her. Um, basically it was, uh, I'm drawing a blank on who wrote that mini, who wrote that Peter Milligan. Okay. So Peter Milligan, uh, who is, uh, I believe British. Right. He is. He just, he wanted to have a story where Lady Di comes back from the dead, not in a zombie way, but she's just, she's super powered. Right. And then joins ecstatics because they're the, the you know the the celebrity super team of the moment right uh and like i say like the story changed almost from issue one so it really did become a whole zombie thing like initially the princess was doing a lot of good work helping uh like war-torn countries and things like that i'm trying to remember it's been so long since i even read the issues right uh, what the story was but yeah basically um uh, the announcement had come out with i believe you can still find the artwork online of lady die on the cover and once marvel made the announcement it was out there on the internet and buckingham palace obviously got word and said no you may not do that and marvel went okay 
we'll oh, change it. Okay. Yeah. It's too bad. It would have been cool. And it would have made the Ecstatics book, like, more something to talk about. Yeah. You know, it kind of takes the wind out of the sails if, like, the big thing that you want to do. It really did, is yeah. It's going to not happen, right? Yeah. And I feel, you know, in a way, I feel like it sort of did uh, just, just kind of kick Peter Milligan in the nuts. Because it wasn't long after that that, he, that the book ended. Yeah. I think. And, you know, the, I, the, I knew there was the big crossover with um, Avengers and uh, the Ecstatics, which they still did. But I I feel like that might have been where Peter said, all right, I'll go work on something else. Like, I need a break from, right, right. from this. Like, the know. thing the thing that was, like, the big inspirational thing that I wanted to do, yeah. I can't do, so what's the point, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, for sure. So then, so you're doing all this, like, all these other things. You're doing, like, Mike Allred, all this sort of stuff. Um, like, when you're an inker, do you feel like you're in the other person's shadow? Do you feel like you're... You, you're not really getting a chance to express yourself from a penciling perspective or or not. I mean, some people like to be, you know, kind of in the background or behind the scenes more. Like, what's your personality yeah. like? Yeah, I, I am more, I love inking. Like, it, in a way, there's less, there's so much less work involved, first of all, because I don't have to plan the, the, the panel, the story, uh, uh, like the, the acting and all of that of the characters. Um, so, I really love inking. It's, it's also just very relaxing because of that. There's less stress. Um, but I do, when I'm inking a lot, I do miss drawing my own stuff. So I'm, I'm almost always sketching or drawing my own things that may or may not, mostly don't get published. Um, it's a little of both because I really, when I'm working on my own work, like when I did Saviors with James Robinson, uh, that was so stressful that I, there were certain weeks where I just couldn't draw because I was just thinking like, what if I screw this up? What if this looks horrible? Cause it was all me and I was lettering it and, and, uh, you know, pencils, inks, and then doing sort of a, a one tone color thing as well. There's a lot of pressure, but this, there's the satisfaction of knowing when that book comes out, it says James Robinson, J-Bone. Right, right. Like that but feels good. But during, for you, the pressure of having all that responsibility isn't really a good a good fit, right? Yeah, yeah. I sometimes get a little too stressed about it. Like, And like I say, with inking, it's just like, I I know how to ink. And I, and I have the confidence in that, that I know I'm not going to screw up you know, it, it'll look good, but really, it, yeah, it's just, it's much more relaxed nice. to just ink, ink somebody. There's also the learning process too. Like I definitely, I was a huge fan of Mike Allred and then to ink him, there's that stress of don't screw it up, but also getting to ink a guy who pencils, I thought similar to the way I pencil and then realized that it, we don't pencil the same. Right. You know what I mean? Like, so that's always such a fun learning process. And same with Dan Parent right now. Like, we seemingly have a very similar style, and we do. But when I see what his pencils look like, I think, oh, there's, there's like, this isn't how I would pencil it. 
So you think you have a similar style and maybe that's why you're selected, but it's not as similar when you get down to it behind the scenes. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely closer than say, if I was being asked to ink Brian Hitch, for right. example, like that would just be insane. Yeah. You, would not <laughs> a, you would not ask me to do that. Right. Um, but yeah, it's, it comes down to more like choices that, that Dan makes uh, or, or All Red or even Darwin. I mean, definitely there are things that Darwin draws where I'm like, I do not even know how to approach how to draw like that. Can you give an example? Like a thing where they went left and you would have gone right? Well, so Darwin's an easy one just because he's so dynamic. Yeah, I'm drawing a blank. Like for Darwin, so if you look at New Frontier, there's a lot of those amazing, just like a splash page that's full of so much chaotic action, but it's all crystal clear. Right. Um, and that's something I think Darwin was so good at. I tend to not tr clutter up my page when I'm drawing. Uh, but then when I worked on the saviors, I kept thinking, all right, how would Darwin approach this? How would he, cause I was, there's a lot of action in the saviors. And I know Darwin's big thing is just stuff flying out at the, the camera, so to speak, or flying out at the reader. So, when I was working on action uh, panels, for example, in the Saviors, I would just think, all right, what can I have flying out? Like, just think of what's in the environment. What's what character can I have, you know, coming at the camera rather than sideways action? Right. Um, so, yeah, that was a thing that Darwin definitely again, there's me learning from Darwin, but also a thing that he does that I at the time would not have thought of doing. Right. So. For every person you ink, it sounds like you you pick up a little bit Definitely. from them. Not in terms of their style, but in terms of like suddenly it's techniques and stuff that you can take in your own career to make yourself better, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, there's. De I mean, in, in one way, I'm sitting in front of a page and I've got, say, five hours that I'm going to invest in inking this page. So, there's a lot of just absorbing over time what that artist has done. Right. Because, um, you know, I, uh, obviously I'm focusing a lot on the art as I'm inking. I can also get, you know, listen to podcasts and get distracted and sort of almost mechanically, that sounds like I'm not paying attention, but I think anybody who does the job knows that there are times where you think, where did the time go? Right. I don't know what I just did for the last And hour. I think the symbol of skill that like, it's still there. Like there's a completed page in front of yeah. you and you don't exactly know what happened, but you have enough confidence to know that you can like pull it off. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I'm not, I'm not maybe aware of every line I put down kind of thing. Right. Exactly. But, but yeah, you're just, I'm absor absorbing things over time. Like I, I, I don't think I could, uh, for example, mimic a, uh, an all red page, but I know, I know how he draws enough that I could probably like fake it. Like he's, he's always very, Mike's thing I think is always that he's very clear with his uh, character poses and they're all in their own space. If that makes sense. Right. Like when you look at a Mike page, the, especially the ecstatic stuff, everyone kind of gets their own splash, even if it's just like a little panel. And he did that a lot with Mad Men too. Like yeah. there's really, big dynamic sort of poses like yeah i'm here like yeah. that kind of lots thing. of and lots of twisting torsos to and and there's a lot of action in mike's i almost think like um 
something I uh, I always thought with Mike is you could take any one of those poses and put it on a t-shirt. Right. And it would look amazing. And that's the pop sensibility that Mike has. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes when I'm drawing my own stuff, I think, all right, this panel is the t-shirt pose. Like whatever's going on in the, in the story, this is something that I could pull out and pop on a t-shirt and you do sell t-shirts uh I do, there yeah. are there is an instagram out there and a lot of those instagram drawings that you do on your instagram have become t-shirts I, yeah uh there, there's like you know cheesecake men and women cheesecake uh, drawings usually yep um it, so you're thinking about mike allred while you're like what am i going to put on a t-shirt what am i going to put on a t-shirt, put on a t-shirt. yeah yeah something yeah that's the thing sometimes there's a there will be a moment as i'm drawing something i think all right i need need a burst of energy i need a, like a splashy image of something mm-hmm. here and yeah mike allred's the guy that i think of for that nice nice so inking is tough though because like you're learning so much you, you like it it's relaxing that kind of thing mm-hmm. but like there's this idea that like and, and maybe it's like a misconception but this idea that like you know you're the inker so you're part of like the support staff you're not right you're not really like the artist on you know things like the new frontier and that sort of thing and i wonder for inkers or people that ink regularly is that discouraging do, do you ever think of things like credit or like you know having you know where your name is placed on the book that sort of thing do you have to be an egoless person i guess to be oh, to a, do to that? be an anchor um you know again it probably depends on each individual person because i've definitely met anchors who are not egoless mm. um and and again you know and and a bad anchor can really screw up Right. Even a, t- a solid, tight penciler. Yeah, because if they decide, well, I don't like what he did, I'm going to do this yeah. instead, it's it's going to clash, right? Exactly, yeah. Yeah, like you do have to match up sensibly. Like I say, like I would be a horrible choice to ink Brian Hitch. Right. Um, so, egoless, I, sometimes you just have to go... Like, it's okay to be support staff, I right. think. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> as, as long as, because support, as long as you are actually supporting and not just hacking it out. Right. In my mind, there's a difference there, even though it may not seem that different. And for you, like, what are, what are your aspirations? Do you feel like you're an egoless person? Like, could you ink for the rest of your life and be completely happy with that? Or do you need... Like I need to pencil my own stuff. Yeah, my in, my while. Instagram says no. My okay. Instagram, <laughs> and and because uh, that's definitely like if I'm feeling like oh I need some validation, I will post something on Instagram that I know will get likes. Right. And and uh, and that's a genuine like I will just go all right I'm drawing some beefcake. Uh, I I usually tend to warm up drawing either cheesecake or beefcake. Like I'll just go through Tumblr, and. Whatever it is I feel like drawing that day, I'll just like look for like, all right, I'm going to draw dudes today and uh, and then post that on Instagram because I know by now my Instagram has got a lot of uh, like my gay fan followers who that's what they want to see um, uh, and, and, and female followers as well. So that's my, yeah, that's my ego feed. I have lately been thinking what like what am I doing? I've been inking for so long that I want to do something of my own. I, I just I have ideas for things. Um, I have characters that I've 
I've started, you know, even Solar Stella, I have a whole second issue of that penciled. Wow. It was penciled in like 2000. So we're 20 years later, basically. I don't know what to do with it. Like, I want to do something. I just don't know what. You could like independently publish like a graphic novel or something. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know. But, but what? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I but mean, yeah. may, maybe bringing back the Solar Stella thing, like Solar Stella for like a new generation kind yeah. of thing, right? Yeah. I don't know. It, it's a funny, I mean, we are in a in a a funny time too. Like Solar Stella is a Barbarella thing. Um, it's a cheesecake book. So there, there's that. There's like, do I get into drawing what is basically an objectifying women comic book? And how do I approach that? Like, I, I come at things from an appreciation of the 50s pinup women. Right. Um, and, and, I, and I know I, I, I'm almost hedging around the whole, like, it's just, it's a different time. It is, it is a different time. But at the same time, like, a lot of that is looked on as, like, classic and not as objectifying as the things from now. Yeah. And and the approach is always, like, am I being salacious with my objectification right. or am I appre appreciating the aesthetic of the 50s? Right. Right. Um, exactly. Like, there's a yeah. way to draw objectifying subject matter mm -hmm. without you know putting across that you're trying to objectify yeah which and and obviously uh being a gay man i actually would like to do a gay comic book right. where i'm objectifying the male body um because that uh that's just something like when i was a kid growing up there was he-man uh there was a tarzan cartoon there were all these things that were like for me just letting me know where I was. Right. Uh, as, <laughs> as a kid, I'm like, this is what turns me on. Why? I don't know. I don't know yet. Right. Um, so I want to, I, that's the nostalgia I sort of want to get back to is like, now I'm thinking, all right, now I would do, so instead of Stoller Stella, I would do, I have a jet, a character named Jet Vector, who's a spaceman. Right. Um, and he basically wears, uh, like a, a tiny little pair of underwear. Mm. And uh, and he's a space cop, so that's the one that I feel like I should do because it's what I want to do next is something that kind of turns the gaze back on men. Right, that's good. Yeah, it's a good idea. But man. again, it's all just like, all right, I have ideas, but what? And it's what? progressive, and everything's progressive now. Yeah, like, like that's awesome. I would do that. That's that's cool. I, yeah. I would buy that. In the meantime, though, there's the, which you can find on my Instagram, I redrew an entire issue of X-Force that uh, Rob Liefeld did back in the 90s. So that was one of those things where I'm like, uh, that was almost a be a man thing. Right. Where I was just sort of dabbling with redrawing using Rob's layouts. And then I just went, what am I doing dicking around with this? Just draw the whole issue. Yeah. And uh, and I posted it on Instagram and it got a lot of attention initially because people were like, what is this? What are you doing? I'm like, I'm kind of doing something because I my focus is on inking. I, I think I was working on Kevin Keller at the time, mm -hmm. uh, inking Dan Parent. And I just went, I need something for me, but it can't take up too much of my brain space. Right. 
and uh, and that's what that yeah uh, and that's when i just redrew in an issue of x-force since we're talking about this period and and like cheesecake and beefcake mm-hmm. in the 50s and that sort of thing what is it about those sorts of things that resonate with you why did you why are you drawn to those things those topics to draw um, you think is it because like you is it part of your experience as a gay man or what what is the, what is the the through line there yeah probably uh so as a kid my dad had playboy magazines as most kids dads do i'm sure and uh i i'm positive he had an issue that had like the original marilyn monroe on the red blanket cover so I started realizing like there was this uh, a certain aesthetic of for the 50s style and at the same time bodybuilding was a big thing down at uh, the Venice Beach in California which was very famous for gay photographers to go and take uh, what would be in physique pictorial and the men's magazines that were ostensibly about fitness photography but secretly about gay men buying you know what was basically the only uh like male objectification yeah it was it was time. like an outlet without you know secret outlet for yeah you yeah. used to be able to get them like mail order that's right. right yeah yeah and so however i discovered that stuff like i think there was probably an issue with like i want to say there was like a schwarzenegger and then it showed old black and white photos of schwarzenegger and his buddy uh franco colombo and like all the guys who were bodybuilders in the 80s but with that 50s it somehow just led me to looking at classic bodybuilding right uh imagery um and and honestly this was all like this was pre-internet uh i didn't get the internet until college so it was kind of just finding you know playboy magazine doing a an editorial on arnold schwarzenegger and where he started right um so it was finding those outlets as a gay kid, not knowing that I was at the time or not even knowing what that really meant. Um, and, you know, and again, I, I feel like it was at a classic time in the 80s where there was a lot of barbarian movies and they would be showing women in metal bikinis, but there was always the dude. Right. And so, like, you know, Playboy models would be in those movies and my dad would, would rent them from the, the, you know, the video store. And I was checking out the dude. Right. Like Schwarzenegger was Conan. <laughs> Schwarzenegger was Conan. Yeah. Uh, Brigitte Nielsen was um, Red Sonja. And I mean, there were a number of barbarian movies that are just horrible, horrible movies. Uh, I'm trying to think of like, uh, not Dragon Slayer, but uh, Mark Singer was in one. Uh, Beastmaster. Right. Mark Singer was the Beastmaster. And there's a whole series of those movies. Right, right. And it's just dudes in loincloths. Yeah. And Beastmaster, I think, eventually became like a series, like a TV series. I think it was a TV series. Yeah. 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 So that's kind of like, that's the beginning. And and obviously that's not 1950, but that physique, the, the bodybuilding was something that I just, I was drawn to and the better... The material that I was into was the 50s. Um, And there were, you know, there were books at libraries and things like that, that I would kind of, I would, I would come across. Um, 
yeah, I guess that's kind of yeah. It's it's just that's the that's the the through line. Yeah, and like fifty seems a little classic. Like there's a certain way that things are presented. Yeah, right? again, it's it's presented non sexually right. in a way. Uh, at the same time, being full aware of what Playboy magazine is. Right. Right. Exactly. <laughs> and what, exactly. what people do when they read it. Yeah. Exactly. Um, but yeah, it's just it's a more. It is more innocent. I know the 50s is not without its problems as a time period, but I think people understand what I'm saying when I, think, I say there's yeah, the innocence of... You're talking about the innocence aesthetically. Yeah. Not well, necessarily like the actual innocence of right, the time. of the time itself. It's more like the presentation yeah. of like, like pop culture and things like that. And all the movies from the 50s. I mean, like Rock Hudson was the the ideal man for a great, a long period of time was a gay man. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and a lot of the, uh, the old 1950s actors sort of have that secret past, which again, you don't know. I don't know those things until later. Right. Um, but yeah, like, I mean, I'm sure when I was a kid, just watching an old Cary Grant movie where he'd be in a swimsuit pulled all the way up to his, his navel, (laughs) (laughs) but that's, that's a fifties aesthetic again, you know? Right. And it sounds like you're kind of into the dichotomy of like the, yeah, but everybody knows what's really going on, like what's really going on here kind of thing. Like that it's kind of, it's kind of presented as like wholesome family friendly, but like you kind of get a kick out of the fact that like everybody knows what's real, what's really happening yeah, here. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's cool. I think, I think a lot of my favorite material plays on those things. Like I, uh, something that I remember specifically as a kid, I went and saw my, my parents took us to see Flash Gordon. The uh, the Dino De Laurentiis right. one uh, and uh, the best little horse in Texas. They were they were playing like a double bill at the <laughs> wow, drive-in. Wow, that's quite the double bill. Yeah, and now the thing is, both of those are full of naked or semi-clad uh, women in in like sexual imagery. Definitely right. best little horse in Texas. Yeah, but uh, that movie, the football team has a dance number in the locker room that starts with them like the camera panning across their bare butts in the shower Whoa. so like yeah there's boobies in that but little j bone was, nice. was like what are these guys doing in the locker room yeah. and, and dancing in that so so they're and the same with flash gordon right again it's very um cheesecakey but Flash is in leather shorts at one point, like tied up when uh, Ming's daughter is is like torturing him. Yeah. So there's and and then there's the the Hawkmen, which are just basically bears with wings. Like yeah, it, it's so in my mind, it's so gay. Right. But, but I know, <laughs> you know, I know at the time it was like no, it's naked women. Right. Right. We right. love the naked women in these movies. Right. It's kind of. I, I yeah. like that whole thing of like, you know, you don't know what you're actually doing, but this is like super gay. Yeah, I, and and I, and I think to me, there's there's such a now, you know, grown up, there's such a pleasure in like the secret gay things, the right. little things that I'm like, well, you don't know, but <laughs> I was turned on by that. Totally, totally. Yeah. That's awesome. So let's talk about the book you're working on now. Yeah. Uh, we talked about it a little bit. You're inking Dan Parent on Archie meets Batman sixty six. That's right. Batman 66 is like the DC universe term for the Adam West, Burt Ward, Batman TV series. Right. Uh, yeah. So 
what is that like? It's kind of a cool crossover, right? It is, yeah, yeah, and and I've inked Dan on um, on the Archie style stuff. Like we did Kevin Keller together uh, for a year. Um, kind of Archie's gay icon, Kevin yeah, Keller, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, they're they're gay character, and then. Um, to ink him on Batman 66, it's kind of just a good, like, natural progression. You know, I know his style well enough now uh, that it's it's more it's much more relaxed. Like inking him is always pretty relaxed, but uh, but yeah, I can just kind of get his pages and be a man. Go to it. Yeah. Do you find that like as an inker, you get to sort of enjoy the content more because? You get to see what like the artist is producing, right? So mm-hmm. you're kind, you kind of get to be a fan too. Yeah, and and you know, in a way, like when I look at what Dan's doing, I don't think I would have, I don't have the, uh, like the ability to do the likenesses of the, the characters that's needed for the Adam West, the actors, line. Right? Yeah, yeah. The, the way the actors look mm-hmm. like that. I know would t- say if I was penciling this, for example, I would, I, the Archie I could do, it's the Batman part where I would go, ah, I need some, I need some help here. So there's a relaxing par- aspect where I'm like, Dan takes care of that. Right. Um, I also am getting to do, you know, little things like, I think Dan has, is kind of, uh, loosened his penciling with this so that I get to do a bit, a little bit more. Like, I think if you look at the inks, you'll see a little bit more of me. You do. In it than you would say in the Kevin Keller stuff where I was being, um, a little more like I was, I was inking it so that it looked like Dan Parent's right. artwork. Right. Um, I think this is a good blend of the two of us. Yeah. I think so too. And, and it particularly because you get to do like the covers too, like, right. You, you did like one, only one so far. Yeah. Yeah, Only one. Yeah. So maybe that's going to happen in the future too. I find that for me as a fan, it's kind of a good reference point. Like if I know that the anchor has also done the cover, I can go in and try to just figure out, you know, who's who in the, in the story. You know what I mean? Cool. That's awesome. So, I mean, were you, did you watch the 66 series as a kid? I did. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I was definitely into it. Uh, I'll tell you again, there's another secret gay one. People are going to get sick of hearing my secret. (laughs) secret. But think about how often Batman and Robin were just tied up together. Right. Uh, Whether it was Catwoman like purring over them or, or, or that like there were always these you know, bondage, weird bondage moments. Maybe that's my, maybe that's the next book I work on. Right. Uh, but yeah, there's, that, that was something that um, I definitely loved the ridiculousness right. of that show mm-hmm. as a kid. It wasn't all just about secret gay, but uh, yeah, like right now, what I'm actually, the character I'm enjoying most is uh, Dan's version of the Riddler. Oh like yeah, the, it's the Frank Gorshin, yeah, obviously. Totally. Uh, but he's a lot of fun to play with because Frank Gorshin was so animated that I can tell Dan's kind of, you know, going out with expressions or doing some crazy expressions with uh, with the Riddler. Yeah, and like I never really thought how simpatico Batman sixty six would be in the with the Archie universe until. Yeah this crossover like now that it's out i'm like oh yeah like of course they're doing that it makes but sense before yeah. i would have never thought to have put them together yeah necessarily imagine if there had been an archie tv show at the same period of time like 
the sensibility of the Batman show with like Catwoman with the flip hair right. would be such a beautiful like Veronica. I can't I can't think of who to cast as as like Betty and Veronica, but this if they had shown up in an episode of Batman sixty six, you would just go, of course, yeah, yeah, totally. That that would be that would have been awesome. Yeah, and obviously you're an Archie kid, right? Like yeah. you you read Archie as well. I did. Yeah. For those who don't get Archie, and I didn't for a <laughs> long time. For a long time, I was like, hey, I collect comics, and people would be like, like Archie, and I'd be like, no, right. not like Archie. What is that? Right, but then when when Mark Wade started updating it and like the Riverdale show came, it gave me sort of a an entry point into into Archie. Okay. So explain to me kind of the appeal of of Archie and like where did you connect with Archie personally? Um, my my sister had a stack of Archie digests, and. I would read those. You know what? It's that 50 sensibility again. Right. Like the uh, Betty and Veronica drawn by Dan DiCarlo definitely have the like 50s cone boobs that was was very much like um, Elizabeth Taylor of that time. They were stories you could read in any order. Right. I think that's what I, now when I look at what Archie is, uh, that's an appeal to me is there's no continuity necessarily in Archie which I think is a great way. We know who these people are. We right. know, like we know the, um, the, the, the basics of each character. Right, the broad and, strokes. Yeah, the broad strokes. And things can change. Like Reggie is always the dick, but sometimes he's Archie's best friend. Right. Um, and so that in that way, the, once you get to know that, the archetypes, you, it's easy to just tell any kind of story. Nice. Um, and they were, you know, they were always fun. And it, yeah, it was just something you could pick up and flip through and not necessarily have to worry about the next issue. Nice. And I think that is was very appealing to me as a kid. So you get to like play with two of like some of your biggest influences. How is that? Like that sounds like a dream project for you. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's crazy. I can only say yes. You are correct. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> because like imagine imagine if like, you know, something that I grew up with watching and I mean Batman 66 was definitely something that my mm. father introduced me to and I was like big into cuz he used to watch it and it was one of those shows that got like passed down kind yeah. of thing. And you know, but it, but if if that happened and and then I suddenly got to work on it, I mean I think I my head would explode <laughs> at least initially, right? Yeah, I, you know, I maybe I've been at this for so long. I start thinking like, yeah, that's cool. Like, right. Even when I worked on Spider Man, I think there's a part of me that can separate the professional from the like flipping out. Right. Right. Exactly. <laughs> even though there's definitely moments where you think like, oh yeah, I did draw a Wonder Woman comic with written by Darwin, or I did a I did a Spider Man with Darwin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like so. any job, even jobs that you like, once you've been at it for a while, like nothing seems impossible or outside right. the realm of possibility, right? Yeah, yeah. that's kind of cool. Well, that's awesome, man. Is there anything else you wanna you wanna leave our listeners with? I mean, I, I you guys should pick up uh, Archie beats Batman sixty six. They're only on the first issue, so if you want to get involved, 
Uh, you can pick up the first issue now. Yeah, I think the second issue has come out, or yeah. I, I believe I saw the second issue, and uh, it's a six-issue miniseries. Okay. Um, Jeff Parker's writing it. Uh, I know he's writing it with someone, and I'm hitting myself right now for drawing a blank on that guy's name, but uh, it's a lot of fun. Um, the Saviors, I think you can still, like, it's it's a trade right now. Uh, and has been for out of image comics. Uh, I'd love people to pick up the saviors just because it was something that I worked on with James for for a couple of years, and sales weren't great when it came out. But it's something I am proud of. Yeah, and I mean the graphic novel came out relatively recently. It came out in 2016. Yeah. So so if people want to pick up the saviors, like wh- wh- how would you get them into the saviors? What's the what's the uh, story of that? It is an alien invasion where the aliens aren't necessarily the bad guys. Like that was our approach. Was what if they are really actually trying to help us? Because right. we are screwing up this world. Um, but it's a little more, uh, a little more like Alien in the Desert, 1950s again. James and I uh, both love that era of science fiction, um, and uh, and that they may not necessarily be doing good things to help us. Right. He kind of brought that to his uh, Justice Society stuff too. Like, yeah, you know the that kind of thing with the 1950s and that sort of thing. So I could see. That he would he would like that kind of stuff too. That's awesome. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I think people there's a lot of stuff that comes out with Image that that hits and pops off right away and it's mm-hmm. huge. But then there's a lot of amazing stuff that sort of doesn't get that initial splash that it that it should. And people should go back and and read some of that stuff because there's a lot of cool diamonds in the rough, right? Yeah, yeah that's awesome. Yeah, and and I mean other than that. Uh Check out my Instagram. I, I want to try and interact more with people on Instagram. Like, even if it's just uh, what people like or want to see me draw. I really, you know, I you've made me think now. I really need to think seriously about what I'm doing after Batman Archie 66. Like, what am I going to do that's just my thing again? Yeah, I mean, you don't have to, but if you if you want, go, like, totally. Yeah. Oh, no, it, and again, it's just, it's a thing that's there. It's always there in the back of my mind when I'm working, like, all right, what's next? What am I going to do? I need to do something. Like, it's been a number of years since I did something right. that's just my statement on something. I don't even know. My approach to a thing. Right. And finally, because it's Wednesday when we're recording this, and because I know you went to the Silver Snail, yep. what did you pick up? Today I bought the new Dick Tracy. That's awesome. I yeah. got the variant. Did you get the variant or did you get the regular? I got the all red cover, which oh. is that the variant or is that well, the he's, regular? Well, he's working on the regular. The full color one is is his cover and that yeah. and that sort of thing. And then there's like a variant that's like a not like a virgin virgin cover where oh, it's okay. just it's just the drawings and stuff. I should have brought it. I could have showed you. Okay, for sure. Dick Tracy. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. That was the only thing. I bought this week. Yeah, Rich, was it Rich Tomasso? Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I think yeah. so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. That's awesome. It's so interesting that like you can work with these guys and then still be like into it, still be into them as a fan and read their stuff and yeah, and that kind of stuff. Because I mean, I'm sure everybody wants to be in that place, but I'm sure not everybody can get there, right? Like sometimes when things become a job, it's it's too much of a job for you to actually read comics you know what I, oh, yeah. what I mean yeah no i still i still read read comics and uh yeah a lot and and 
try to keep up with like what my friends or what people I'm, I was fans of, uh, are working on. Like, that's a fun thing. I mean, like, uh, honestly, the growth of, I don't know if you've had Francis Manipal on your show or not. We have not yet. No, but to know, to know when he was a kid and just to see like that he's working on the Justice League now. And, um, I can't remember what title he's on, but he did the, there was a Trinity. Trinity. Yeah, yeah. Trinity. Like, honestly, to see how far he's come is, is like, it, it makes me proud of him. Yeah. Cause I, like I say, I knew when he was first starting out and he was, he was incredible back then. Like when he was working with Jay on stuff, but yeah, to see how far he's come is, is so amazing. And Scott Hepburn, I'm such a huge fan of Scotty Hepburn. Yeah. I mean, I'm proud yeah. of those guys cause I know them a little bit, but yeah. to know them personally as much as you do, like for sure. And the fact that like we live in Toronto and right. this stuff's happening coming out of Toronto. Or you just might bump into, yeah. yeah. Like the, the odds of bumping into one of these guys like, Oh God, Dylan Burnett. I don't know if you know that guy. Yeah, I'm, I just, I, like, I'm just name dropping. Yeah. I, ju- but, I just uh, met him at Fan Expo, oh, actually. He's so good. Yeah. And now he's uh, he's starting on, I think, like, he's doing an X-Force after his Ghost Rider run. Yeah, I think so. I think oh, so. But, but yeah, that guy, so again, deserves, like, I love to see him getting this, this like, attention. Right. So, like, the main message, you guys, is, like, go to go to your comic shop. Yeah. Support Jay. Uh, buy, buy Archie Meets Batman 66. But support all these other Toronto creators. Go back into our archives. Listen to some interviews with them. And check out their books. And, of course, leave a review on the podcast podcast because that always helps yeah but uh, until next time i'll have to say goodbye and we'll see you next time on speech bubble this has been speech bubble see you in the future friends never sleeps network this has been a never sleeps network production executive produced by alex ross for more information and content visit neversleepsnetwork.com Speech Bubble on Never Sleeps Network at NeverSleepsNetwork.com is executive produced by Alex Ross. Audio editing by Joseph Yanni. Social media assistance by Jamie Warner and The Social Smiths. Announcements by Craig Mayhem and Sean Ward. Logo design and graphical assistance by Brittany Tice.